morning and welcome to Driving Theology. This is Mike and I am just pulling out to get to work. What have y'all been up to? Uh, let's see. Sorry, let me navigate through here. Light's a little weird today. So, yeah, uh, this is Driving Theology and a uh, um, podcast I've been doing for going on either four or five years. I'm kind of losing track. I guess I should look that up. I think it's going to be four. I think it'll be four this year and then, yeah, 2020 it should be five. So maybe I start at the end of 2015. 2016, I don't remember, 2015, I think, yeah, end of 2015 probably is what it was, so I gotta get that water bottle, it's gonna shake all day long, here we go, um, and yeah, I just uh, kind of talk about things that are on my mind, um, my thoughts a little bit, uh, and as I want to do, they kind of, you know, often uh, go toward, um, I hope, Jesus. I have been on a uh, journey of, of reconstructing my faith for, well, I, I suppose deconstructing part of my face started around 2004 probably it's 15 years and probably the reconstruction didn't really start until you know maybe about the time I started this podcast perhaps where at some point I was I was understanding more than I was uh disagreeing with maybe I don't know I don't know it's kind of hard to say but I think this uh, process of construction reconstruction is not something you really finish Um, at least I don't feel like that's going to be the case at this point Uh, I feel like it's going to be something that I'm going to be revisiting often uh, for the rest of my life and perhaps because the fact that it happened once now I realize to um, not be too dogmatic in what I think I've learned um, but to hold as somebody has said hold hold my beliefs uh, lightly so as not to bash them over the heads of other people <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and be able to see the truth when it, when it does present itself. Um, because I think we're all, we're all blessed with perhaps a certain amount of truth. Um, but at the same time, uh, we're seeing that truth through such, um, imperfect lenses. Uh, you can say paradigm, you can say worldview, it's a hermeneutic, whatever you want to say. Whatever lens you use to understand the world around you, um, 
needs to be cleaned from time to time, right? For example, I would I would say that my hermeneutic is Jesus because I believe Jesus should be should be my hermeneutic by which I understand uh, the world around me. But that doesn't mean that that's how it always works out. That my old uh, my old hermeneutics don't don't jump in there and cloud uh, my judgment or you know whatever you want to call it um, because they do right there are there are beliefs you have that are incredibly deep-seated um, so deep-seated sometimes it feels like a physical appendage like something you can't ignore or get rid of um, and that something something that is awkward to to try to do that with um, One of them is, you know, the supposed um, righteous use of violence, right? Um, for me, that comes up quite often. In that I, for example, Trump, Trump apparently, I don't know how much of this is, is good news, bad news, uh, biased news or whatever, but apparently Trump is removing uh, American troops from Syria. And so a lot of, uh, you know, the internet's blown up and saying that he's exposing uh, that area to be um, reconquered by ISIS. He's exposing Christians there, um, taking away any protection that they may have had from uh, Islamic forces who are bent on their destruction uh, and stuff like that, right? So my first twinge is, yeah, we need to protect those Christians. We can't let them be slaughtered. We we need to use violence or the threat of violence to keep evil at bay, and that's something that just naturally. Uh, pops up. That's my first inclination. But it doesn't take long now for me to say, wait a minute. Violence and the threat of violence as a means uh, of conflict re re uh, resolution is a tool of empire and therefore of Satan. And so whatever U.S. troops are doing there because they are the army they have weapons they are created for fighting whether they actually fight or not their very presence um, is very telling on you know what, what we believe about violence right? we believe violence can be used for protection uh, and we are completely okay with um, killing in the name of protection, right? Killing in the name of self-defense. In fact, I've seen all over the internet, it's unbelievable to me how many people believe that you can use lethal force to protect and that the Bible says you can do it. 
um, that Jesus, that that even Jesus uh, is for uh, using lethal force for self-protection, for self-defense. It's just unbelievable to me how many people think or want us to think that this is sanctioned by Jesus. It, it's just, it just blows my mind to think that the Jesus who willingly uh, went through beatings uh, and the cross, um, some of the worst punishments ever devised by man, um, that he would say, yeah, if somebody's if somebody's hurting you, you have the right to kill them. You know, or if you think somebody might kill you, you can kill them first. It just blows my mind. I, I just don't know where they find it. I'm I'm not trying to say whether that's right or wrong. I'm I want you to tell me and to explain to me how you find that in number one scripture, number two Jesus, right? I mean, even the people of Israel, if you go back, they were, they were a, a uh, military nation, right? All, all men were in the military, presumably, uh, and they all had to fight uh, for protection and also uh, to take the land of Canaan. They were a, a normal, in many ways, a normal nation of their time, <clears throat> except that God did not allow them to have horses and chariots. Those are two things that God did not want them to have. Uh, horses and chariots, chariots in that day would be like uh, missiles and tanks today, right? Tanks and missiles uh, are, uh, you know, cannons, if you will, if you want to say artillery, whatever. They are the bigger machines of war, and they, they grossly um, give you, they give you a big advantage in war, right? The more tanks you have, the more missiles you have, uh, or, uh, you know, the more cannons you have, or whatever you want to call it. You can call it jets, you can call it whatever. But these give you a huge advantage in war, right? The ability to strike from a far distance. Um, is sort of like, in many ways, yeah, the uh, horses and and uh, chariots. Um, they were used to great effect to win battles and to change the course of a battle. Um, <clears throat> but Jesus didn't, uh, sorry, Jesus, uh, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, did not allow them to have them. Uh, and it was because God did not want them to have faith in their machines of war more than to have faith in him himself. Um, now, of course, this uh, this brings up a lot more questions. Okay, why you know why why even go to war if you're not going to have the 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 machines to win? Uh, why why if God is against violence, why did he have violence at all? And I think. There are many answers to that, and I, I really can't uh, go over them all here. Um, but I would say that, number one, God 
accommodated accommodates people. He is a, an accommodating God. He accommodates people where they are and tries to bring bring them to a better place. Okay, so he'll accept where you are, but then he will give you opportunities uh, to to come to an even better understanding. Whether it's a perfect understanding or not, uh, I don't know, but you can get better. So he found the Israelite people to be bent on violence and to believe in violence. So he said, okay, so here's what I have. You guys believe in violence. I don't believe in violence. So what I'm going to try to do is to taper down your trust in violence over time. Uh, and it's going to involve a lot of stuff, right? So first of all, it's going to involve you not trusting in horses and chariots, uh, but just fighting with your hands. And then later, it's going to be fighting with a very small force, right? Uh, and then even later, you're going to be conquered. Uh, force is going to do to you what you've been trying to do to other nations, right? And that happened with the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And, uh, and, then, and then eventually, your violence is going to kill me. Right? This is God talking. Your violence is going to kill me, uh, your God, as found in the in incarnation of, of Jesus in the body, uh, uh, in a human body. Right? But even so, I'm going to save you through your own wicked violence. Uh, I'm going to save you. Right? But I'm going to show you a better way. And that better way comes when Jesus says you have heard to hate your enemies but I say love your enemies pray for those who persecute you enemy love of course was unheard of had God or any prophets been preaching that uh, as, as the Jews were walking into Canaan the people were just not any in any way ready to receive that and they would have killed those prophets so instead God used the history of the the nation of Israel to to wean them off of violence as a way of conflict resolution and even even of self-defense right to wean them away of from violence as a means of self-defense uh, and to put their full trust in him And the way he proved that they could do that was the cross. And so those who understand the cross, in the deepest way, understand that, number one, uh, God is, is um, what's the word? He, he, he is patient. He's incredibly patient to bring people to a better understanding uh, of himself and therefore a better way to be in the world, right? He's incredibly patient. He's long-suffering is the word I wanted to use. Uh, he has endurance, right? He doesn't give up quickly. Um, and he's trustworthy, right? He's trustworthy to teach the people. Um... 
that brings up something that, that God had said in the Bible that I, I think most people don't realize is there. God, God had said that he would drive out the people who are in, in the land of Canaan ahead of the Israelites. Right? He would drive them out and he would use hornets to do this, bees, right? He would, he would find a way that people would find the land inhabitable and they would uh, escape. Yeah, so, but instead of that, uh, violence happens, and, and, and I'm not sure right now, I'd have to look sometime what that, what that transition looked like from violence, um, from, from God doing uh, something non-violently, such as uh, getting people to leave, leave uh, the land by non-violent means, right? Well, semi-violent, I don't know what you call it, hornets, um, to where they go to all-out war and slaughter and massacre. Uh, you know, you take the city of Jericho where everybody was massacred. Uh, and this happened time and time again. Um, and of course, the Bible describes what's going on and why why said events are happening but all from the perspective of people who did not understand completely who God was or what his what you know in other words what his character was um, it's interesting though just in the news this morning I saw that apparently the giant Asian hornet uh, which is the top predator of Japan. It kills more people than any other, uh, any other uh, beast or insect or anything in Japan every year, uh, has made it to England. And there are nests and nests of them, and they're, they're starting to terrorize the honeybees of England. Uh, and it's interesting that, that hornets <laughs> are still out there in the world making people's lives uh, difficult. Um, so it makes me wonder um, sorry, makes me wonder what may have been behind the hornets actually. You know, was that actually God or was that, you know, something else going on? Uh, how would that have been interpreted or misinterpreted or from what was it interpreted and anyway it, it's all very very interesting um, uh, so as you know as I started talking about in the beginning I still have these deep-seated beliefs that that I no longer philosophically adhere to but yet still almost in my muscles you know, like muscle memory, you know, come up as a, a as a knee-jerk reaction to some things. You know, yes, of course. The, you know, for example, the the troops should not be pulled out of Syria because this will leave uh, 
the the Kurdish people exposed, right? Uh, and yet, I no longer believe that violence uh, is the correct way to uh, resolve um, disputes in the world. And so, uh, coming up with creative ways to resolve disputes, I think is, is something that really needs to start happening in the world, and I hope it does. But I think the starting place of that is not going to be um, on, you know, the political level, on the macro level. I think the starting place to that is going to be with me, one-on-one, -on -one as I deal with people uh, on a daily basis. You know, how, how am I going to, today, um, resolve not to use violence to uh, resolve any issues. And here's the thing, I, I teach kids, and I teach really young kids from, from three uh, all the way through elementary school. I teach um, many ages of, of children. And, you know, once in a while, even if you don't touch a kid, um, your size uh, can be intimidating to a child, right? Your size can be enough. Um, and so how do you, how do you, um, ensure that kids are being respectful to each other, uh, respectful to people and, and are not, um, getting in the way of the learning experience for other children, right? Are not distracting everybody. Um, in what ways can we... Um, do that without employing violence of any kind and that means the threat of violence that means physical in intimidation um, how how can we um, and it's not that this is something I do all the time but it is something that sometimes um, once in a while again it's a knee-jerk reaction that comes up I was I was somebody who was spanked as a child. I had parents who spanked, uh, and I spanked my children. I hope not too much, but I did sometimes, you know. Um, and that's because I, I believe that violence, obviously I, I have believed that violence is a legitimate way to um, solve problems. Uh, and so on some level, I have got to step by step, you know, one, one situation at a time, find ways to not use physical intimidation, violence, or the threat of violence to resolve issues um, on a daily basis, right? As I, as I live with, with people. And I think as, as more and more people resolve to strive to live that way, I think then we will, we will be more likely to accept alternative um, dispute resolution methods, right? I, I can't even think about, think what those might be at this point. 
because you could also go into deception, right? Deception is also used as a nonviolent uh, resolution to problems, right? Um, so, yeah, that's that's not good either. So, how do you how do you remain honest uh, and loving and uh, encouraging as you as you try to re resolve disputes? <sighs> or resolve problems or whatever it is, you know. And most things with kids are behaviors, you know. Kids who are, well, first and foremost, violent to other kids. This is not a good thing. How do you resolve violence not using violence? Um, man, it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I think that's where it has to happen. I, I think, you know, uh, I, I'm confessing to you that, that, that I think it would be very difficult for me not to, um, not to use some form of physical threat or violence, if you will, uh, in teaching kids. It's just hard. It would be very, very difficult. Um, and the problem is, the yeah the problem is as I do that I'm teaching them to also use violence or, or the threat of violence as a means to solve problems and that's something I don't want to do I think that that would go a long way were we to stop accepting violence as a means to solve problems uh, that would go a long way to ushering in a fuller expression of the kingdom of God on earth. Hmm. That's something I need to study and explore. I really do. I need to contemplate that. I need to, to find other people who are ahead of me in that in that field and who have studied it and who who have either had success uh, at it um, yeah I'm not sure I would know how to deal with kids without any any of that at all because kids tend to run right over you and the problem is I only have these kids like an hour a week it's not like I'm I have a significant amount of input into their lives and so if they come from a family and I'm pretty sure they all do where violence or the threat of violence is a means by which they are controlled you know by their parents grandparents or teachers then as I step into that system I'm just outnumbered you know just completely outnumbered um, hmm. that's something I need to explore try to figure out I think for myself I don't know what that would look like I really don't um, or I know what it would look like I just don't see it as a possibility at this point it would be so hard the thing is I mean Japan uh, is largely a nonviolent 
society. You know, I I'm, I don't hit my kids. I can't. You know, there's there's no way that's allowed. Um, so that's that's not what I'm talking. About. I'm not talking about hitting them. Uh, but sometimes you will, you know, even to protect another child, uh, you may restrain a kid. Right? You have to hold them back. And you know the simple truth is you are bigger and stronger uh, than kindergartners or elementary school kids, right? You can restrain them, you can hold them back. So, yeah, I... Hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a conundrum. Uh, but I, I really feel like that's that's where it has to happen. In your workplace, in your home, in your in your everyday uh, life, is where we have got to stop relying on violence or the threat of violence or any kind of physical intimidation uh, as a means to solve our problems, right? Of course, I think it, it goes a long way, uh, you know, to be, to achieve this goal, to be proactively loving from the outset, right? To be proactively ensuring that children know that they are loved and they are appreciated and that you will listen to them and hear them uh, and invest time and energy into them. Um, that you respect them, right? To respect kids. Uh, because I think people who feel cornered, right? Or disrespected. Uh, I think another word we would use um, instead of disrespect for kids, we might use bullied. Or something like that and and you know don't be deceived some teachers do bully kids I mean it's it's just something that comes with our size um, and and if if you know I hope that there are no teachers that are doing this but uh, it does happen right adults are not immune to to trying to intimidate people using well, it's not just violence, it's, it's not just physical violence, it's also other kinds of violence. Um, reputation or, you know, mental, mental abuse or all of this kind of stuff also I think is violent in a sense. As it attacks, it, it attacks a person's, uh, not their body, but their identity, right? It attacks their character and their identity. And that's a kind of violence in and of itself as well. Yeah, so, hmm. That's something I'd like to ponder a little bit more. I uh, was wearing a hat yesterday in the rain. I have it right next to me now. Uh, it's a leather hat that sort of a cowboy style hat, but it's actually Australian, right? It's an Australian Outback hat, maybe is what we'd call it. 
Anyway, looking at myself in the mirror, I just felt like I looked like a, you know, a white oppressor, wherever you think that may have existed, you know, from the plantations in America uh, to South Africa, um, to India or whatever, you know, these, these big kind of cowboy adventure outdoor hats that were worn by white people as they... Uh, well, what they called explored, but actually raped um, the lands uh, that they deemed valuable, right? The, the places that they explored and wanted to take the resources of. Uh, this is the kind of hat that they wore. This is, you know, and of course I'm as white as white can be. So looking at myself in that hat, I just had this feeling that, you know, wow, I, that's what I look like. I look like a cracker, a whip cracker, right? Uh, plantation owner or something like that but that got me to thinking and I posted this on Facebook today so it'll be there in probably a little more detail than I have time to uh, express now but basic idea was you know what would it have been like had uh, these explorers gone into uh, these new lands with the purpose of learning right learning from uh, the peoples that they had encountered to humbly go and say, you know, I, I don't know anything about your culture. What, what can I learn um, that would be beneficial to the people who have sent me? Because instead of this, what happened uh, was these explorers needed a lot of money to get to the points where they were going. I think they just were explorers at heart. They were, you know, people who wanted to discover and find. And, but the money behind them uh, made it necessary for them to bring back uh, the stuff from the land to, to make the trip profitable for the investors. The investors were usually the nobility of Europe, uh, oftentimes uh, royalty as well. And so they, they funded these trips, and so they may have gone with fairly good intentions, uh, at least not destructive intentions, but because they were funded and money was involved, of course it corrupts the process, and now it's all about profit, right? It's all about the bottom line. Okay, we gave you these ships and all this money and all these, you know, this staff, these people, this army to go to go discover this land, but you need to bring something back. We want gold, we want spices, uh, we want slaves, and you know the church was saying we want converts. And so, because of the money behind uh, these explorers, uh, they had to also play the merchant game, right? Uh, or, you know, I would say the conqueror's game to conquer and to subdue people in order to uh, reap their resources for the benefit of the investors back in their home countries. But wouldn't it have been wouldn't it have been really different had they have just been seeking to understand other cultures better, other people, to learn about their art and their literature. Uh, and their, their technology, their sciences, their medicine, their religions, you know, 
all, all of these things would have been quite valuable, more valuable, in fact, than these physical things that were stolen and taken uh, from the lands uh, and used as, as an excuse to enslave the people of these lands. Um, things would have been vastly different, I think. Instead, uh, we used violence and the threat of violence to steal what we wanted, to take what we wanted. And so we came in with our armor and our horses and our guns and we intimidated the people into giving us what we wanted or uh, we killed them when they didn't, right? Uh, and that, that goes all the way down to conversions, right? When, when people would not accept Christianity, um, they were killed as well. You know, they were purged. May have been a word that was used back then. Uh, a euphemism for killed. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I think, I think this, this also is the kind of thing that has to be changed. This... This mode of empire has to be changed not not at a political or policy level not at the not at the level of government but at the level of you as an individual in your in your family in your place of work right how are you as you talk to other people and meet other people are you there to show your superiority how much you know to get a chance to um, just run your mouth uh, and impress people? Do you use people to get what you want out of them? Uh, or are you, are you encountering people with the hope that you will learn more about people, that you will learn more about how to live life well, that, that people have wisdom that you don't know about, that you can actually learn from people? And so I hope that we will strive to learn more than to teach. I hope we will strive to, to hear more than speak, to love more than hate, um, to be humble instead of proud in our dealings with people uh, every day as we, just as we go through life. And now that I'm coming up to my place of work, I'm going to have to stop this recording. And that's my challenge for today. And uh, so we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.